Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. It's time for the latest edition of the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Kathleen Thompson, Progress Texas Chair of the Board. And I'm Sam Gonzalez, Progress Texas Digital Director. Hey Sam, welcome back to the Lone Star State. Oh, it's good to be back. It's a little humid. Actually, it's a lot humid. I'm, it's supposed to be cold and I'm wet still. I don't get it. <laughs> um, but hey, you know, this is Texas. Well, welcome back. And before we get to our interview with State Senator Sarah Eckhart and Dallas City Council member Adam Basildua regarding the latest Republican attacks on local control, I wanted to get your take on the news about the news. Have you heard what's happening uh, with NPR and Twitter? NPR has become the first major news organization to, quote, step away from Twitter after the company falsely labeled the network state-affiliated media, which is the same term they use to describe autocratic propaganda outlets. And in a statement, NPR said, we are not putting our journalism on platforms that have demonstrated an interest in undermining our credibility and the public's understanding of editorial independence. Sam, I don't like this decision. We need more independent news, not less. And if anyone's questioning Elon's motivation of incompetence or malice, it doesn't matter, right? Twitter just lost a credible voice on the most important newsworthy events of the day. What's your take? I think that NPR needs to do something like this. So we all know that Twitter is a cesspool at this point. Um, I started using Twitter about three years ago, and so I haven't been on Twitter actively a lot, but I've seen the quick decline since Elon yes. took over. Now, if anybody is going to do the we got to do it for our integrity, it's got to be NPR. The other ones are going to be around. I know it's it's going to lead to more garbage. And then as soon as the blue check mark thing goes into effect, somebody's going to probably uh, pretend to be NPR and put out a bunch of fake nonsense. But that's Elon's point. He doesn't want a fair game. He doesn't want um, a place where you can find uh, accurate resources. He wants to make money and he's not doing a very good job at that. So he's going to try to find ways to go about doing that. And if that means creating controversy by calling this state affiliated media propaganda, it's best to not play the game at, at whatever cost it is. Now, until the replacement comes up, we are going to have a loss, but uh, the replacement for Twitter, I mean, but until then you can't play that game. You can't put out information and consistently have your name disregarded on a platform that a lot of people consume. Elon put them in a tough spot. I think they're doing the right decision for themselves to keep their integrity, but at the cost of having that information easily accessible. Yeah, I just feel like this is similar to, you know, paywalls for accurate professional news reports and orgs and the misinformation is out there for free. Right. And then that's always going to be the case because misinformation gets those clicks and it does create a environment of just pure misinformation, people just quoting things wrong, not understanding things correctly. But you need to maintain yourself in that noise as a place you can go for accurate information. So by removing yourself from a place that is about to become even worse uh, of a cesspool for misinformation, hmm, it's kind of like, do you get in the mud with the pigs, right? Do you want to get yourself dirty? You know, they're better at it, right? At, at playing in the mud. So I think by stepping away, they can keep a little bit of that accuracy and that importance and that status that they keep. Um, and I think that will be important more long term when there is inevitably another social media platform that overtakes Twitter once it gets driven into the ground. Now, that won't be for a while, but 
it, something's got to give. It, this is not sustainable for Twitter. Well, Progress Texas will be promoting progressive messages and actions on Twitter and other social media platforms and on our website with no paywall um, for, for years to come, I'm sure. And we're not paying for blue. That's right. And we're not paying for blue. <laughs> so you need to follow us to make sure you're getting our tweets. So be sure to follow us at Progress Texas uh, on Twitter. Be sure to follow us on all forms of social media, lest we don't pay the fines of uh, viewership for the blue check marks on Instagram, uh, Twitter, all the other places. So it'll be more important to hit that follow button, hit the subscribe button that gives you notifications. Uh, that's all going to be more important as time goes along and as the paywalls start being enforced on social media. Right on. State Senator Sarah Eckhart, representing Senate District 14 in Travis County, and Dallas City Councilmember Adam Bazaldua, representing District 7 East Dallas. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. But I, 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 I will get in trouble if you, if you don't include South Dallas as well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> got Dallas to. only. <laughs> All the parts of Dallas that are the best parts, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you both for being here today. We're examining the continued partisan escalation from Governor Abbott and Texas Republican lawmakers on Democratic-run governments, ranging from the recent DPS deployment to the threatened takeover of Austin ISD to the recent talk of a pardon for Daniel Perry. And we've seen this playbook before in Dallas. Senator Eckhart, you released a statement recently about the TEA conservator of Austin ISD on the heels of the Houston ISD takeover, calling the target and timing suspicious. Before you were elected to the Texas legislature, you served Travis County as the county judge. I bet you knew your county and your community better than Republican lawmakers living hundreds of miles away. Uh, it, we are seeing a desire at the state level to have a, um, a very little due process in, uh, as they take over local government processes, whether it's in public education, uh, whether it's in uh, criminal justice and public safety. The, the state is making big moves to uh, be able to insert itself in local government activities without any due process of those local governmental entities. And what's happening right now isn't new. I'm sure we all remember Republicans coming after local ordinances, promoting public health like the plastic bag bans in Dallas and ordinances against fracking in Denton. And we don't want the legislature to be the city council or the county commissioner court of Texas. So what are progressives and Democrats doing in the current session to fight the super preemption bills? Local government is a big issue that is is absolutely under attack from many different uh, um, many different angles. Um, we are seeing disannexation bills. We're seeing bills that uh, undermine hospital districts. We're seeing bills that uh, force us to place things on ballot initiatives that are untrue, saying that every bond uh, election is a tax increase when that's not actually the case. It's coming fast and furious and we're doing our best to bat it down. Um, Adam, I don't know you know, what your city council is, is seeing in your neck of the woods, um, but I know that part of the reason why I left local government, it wasn't because I didn't absolutely adore working in local government. Um, I did. It was that so much of the good that we were doing locally was stopped at the state level uh, by various preemptive acts. And so I thought, well, I'll just saddle up my little pony and ride up to the state, ride down the street to the state <laughs> and see if I can uh, help be a bulwark against this kind of preemption. 
Yes, Senator, I, I would uh, have to say that the at the local level here is definitely um, a direct attack, and that's what we've been focusing on. Uh, it just seems really hard to keep up, honestly, because it, we're getting attacked from every level. I mean, there's, there's one bill in particular I think touches nine different uh, codes uh, in our city that um, uh, unfortunately I, I heard was just voted out of uh, House committee. And um, we're, we're at a, a, a point where um, the, the conversations are not being productive. Uh, it's more of a partisan pandering that we see at a local level. And as a nonpartisan elected official, I, I definitely identify with a party, um, but it, it's, it's clear that um, when I've come down to testify on some of the bills specifically that are impacting um, our local control, that uh, thought has been provoked by the testimony alone because it wasn't thought through uh, in filing this bill. It was more about getting however your base can get riled up, um, making people uh, lean to national talking points um, instead of really working with uh, other levels of government, in fact, those uh, levels of government like city council who works with uh, everyday ordinances for our constituents. And that's what's been most frustrating um, when meeting even with Republican chairman specifically about a bill uh, that, that I, I don't want to see happen, uh, which is our ability to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Um, it, it was eye opening. I could see just in the conversation that I had and I left there thinking, why aren't these conversations being had before these bills are being filed? So it's it is frustrating to say the least. Um, I feel that there's only little things, little control, if you will, that we can have uh, in in this process, which is, I think, even more frustrating because we have to kind of sit back and watch what happens, and and it's at the mercy of uh, of the legislature. So I'm thrilled that we have fighters like you that have decided to make the jump and are uh, there to help protect local local control. Governor Abbott has frequently bashed the city of Austin on policing and in February announced a statewide task force on street racing, which was very quick response considering other tragedies that have happened in the state of Texas and done nothing but street racing. We're going to jump right on that. Not school shootings, not any of that. Uh, but then in March, to the surprise of many, a partnership between the city of Austin and Texas DPS was announced. Now, civil rights advocates raised the alarm bells, including that the DPS doesn't follow the same racial profiling policies as APD. So uh, council member Basil Dua, when you heard the news about state troopers being brought in with the governor's blessing, what was your reaction? Yeah, ironically, I was actually out in D.C. Um, with the National League of Cities with uh, a few of my uh, counterparts in Austin on the city council uh, when, when they heard as well. And um, it was it was a shock to us all. Um, but it, then again, it wasn't really to me. It was more uh, reminiscent of, of something that has happened and uh, hit home pretty close. You know, we, we saw uh, the troopers come in and this was uh, prior to George Floyd and prior to uh, a, a, an uprising of uh, society as a whole in wanting to hold law enforcement accountable. Um, but it was very indicative of, of what uh, we, we don't want to see when it comes to the relationships between law enforcement and community. Um, we had, uh, I believe, a, a record like 12,500 stops uh, and more than 80 percent of them uh, ended in a warning um, and I had 80 plus year old constituents telling me that they were pulled over because a brake light was out and taken mm -hmm. out of their car and had their car searched. Um, Jeez. 
uh, it, it's it, it just speaks to the different levels of law enforcement there are. And quite frankly, I don't blame the DPS troopers. They came in here and they were do what they were trained to do. Uh, but they're not trained to be inside of our communities. They're not trained to maybe know the names of some of the people in the communities that they're cruising through and patrolling. Um, and, and what I was told, actually, at the time as a brand new elected official was you've got to do something uh, about this. And it wasn't just for my constituents. I was hearing from my neighborhood police officers. And they felt that the work and the investment that they've put into the community had been strained and that they were the ones that were going to be left with cleaning up this mess. And it's those types of adverse impacts or or repercussions that uh, decisions like that made at a state level um, without collaboration at a local level. Um, is is just perpetuated, and and it was very unfortunate to see uh, what what's happening in Austin. And th- you're familiar with this type of action because I mean, here in Austin, I've had friends uh, come to my house, and they'd said, "Yeah, there's a lot of DPS out there. There's a lot of extra uh, force out there." And so, it, a lot of news reports are mentioning that residents are feeling scared and feeling targeted, like you mentioned. Tell us how this played out in Dallas and in your district when it happened there. Well, it was um, uh, our chief at the time uh, was it was our former chief. She was out on medical leave, actually. And um, there was some collaboration with uh, city manager's office and our governor's office. Uh, The mayor was also out of town, ironically. But what I had uh, was uh, about three weeks of experience uh, at City Hall. I was still finding the bathrooms, if you will. Uh, I, I, I actually went to um, an assistant city manager and said, can I host a press conference? And he said, Councilmember, you can do whatever you, you want to do. And, <laughs> right. and it was an eye-opening experience, but I did exactly that. I called our district attorney. I called a county commissioner. I called several of, of my council colleagues and asked if they'd be willing to stand with me, which they did. And um, we did a press conference, and I essentially uh, demanded that, that the DPS troopers uh, be removed from my district and that uh, our city government um, look at a better way to allocate these resources. I wasn't um, resistant to DPS coming to the city, but if we need help by freeing up some of our resources to do the work that our police officers are trained to do in our communities, then those resources could be better used at what they are trained to do, which is patrolling uh, the, the thoroughfares, the state highways, the places that would free up resources and allow for more of community policing, which is the model that we really want to be focused on. Um, without that, it just results in over-policing, predominantly with data, a lot of which is connected to socioeconomics, is brown and black communities. And that is where the targeting uh, occurred. And that was uh, maybe not the most effective way. Um, I think it kind of riled up the, 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 the subject even more. Uh, but what it did do was create um, uh, clear and transparent conversations and leveled expectations because a few months later, uh, it probably was actually about a year later, we did get another tranche of, uh, of assisted resources from uh, the DPS, and they were used in the manner that I, I requested originally. Uh, they, they were not put back into our streets. They were not um, harassing uh, our residents, and it, it, was, it was a much better outcome, uh, to say the least. You don't see 
um, ordinances in rural towns uh, being challenged. You don't see the ones that um, are actually tailored to unique constituencies. This is an attack mostly on our larger metropolitan areas that are much more progressive minded, uh, much more in the direction of uh, democratic leadership. And mm -hmm. it, it's, again, to pander to um, the GOP's base that we're doing something about these rogue cities. Uh, we're going to maintain our Texas values. Um, and, and that, to me, is what is so disingenuous because anyone who serves at the state level should understand the significance of the state of Texas that we are in. And 254 counties, over 1,200 cities in our state, there's absolutely no reason why we should ever be painting with a broad brush across the mm -hmm. entire state. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the problems that exist in West Texas, for instance, with the bill I mentioned earlier on regulating greenhouse gas emissions, that's who chairs this committee. They don't have the same problems that we have. In fact, we go to where he represents to get clean air, to enjoy a break from uh, what, what is, is taking place here with air pollution. So I think it's important just to, to really highlight the fact that this is on partisan lines and it should not be. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I also think that it's important to, to say that this has created a stigma with um, a, a, an unnecessary negative tone to what preemption could be. There are plenty of times when the state could be doing things to actually help local governments and give consistency. Uh, but instead, it's almost hard, and me as a progressive, to, to go down and testify in favor of something that's going to eliminate our control because it contradicts exactly what the fight is that we're discussing here today. May I throw in two specific examples, I think, that draw the issue, uh, um, that draw out, tease out the issue of the urban-rural divide? Um, I think that the urban-rural divide is, is often, uh, that frame is one frame, but on two specific issues, it calls it into question. Um, one is on what's what they call taxpayer-funded lobbying, which is when local governments uh, have um, an employee or pay an association or a professional to come advocate uh, at the state level. And the other is the issue of um, incompetency restoration holds in our county jails. So go with me for a minute. I know this is super wonky, but I want to put it out there that um, the urban-rural divide uh, we may not be so divided. This is really an issue of local control versus state preemption um, and playing politics where we really need to be trusting partners. We've got 2,500 people across the state of Texas awaiting competency restoration in rural jails and in urban jails. And you talk to rural sheriffs and they might be, you know, tall, tall walking Texan with the big old hat and, you know, a longtime member of the Republican Party. And they're saying, I can't get state resources mm -hmm. to take my prisoners who are unfit to stand trial. And then you tell me I can't send my hired gun to lobby you to get you to build enough state hospitals. What's going on here? R rural or urban, you're telling me that you're not gonna build the resources necessary to handle the issue of people who are in acute mental health crisis, and you're gonna keep me from sending somebody to the Capitol to tell you that that's a problem. So I'm even hearing it from my, my rural counterparts in local government, my friends who are rural uh, county judges, who are rural sheriffs, 
um, who are saying, you know, the state is not cutting it and they don't want to hear from us. Um, and when we tell them that we would prefer that they concentrate on, you know, roads and jails and uh, public safety, they don't want to hear what we have to say. I appreciate you adding that perspective because, you know, as, as uh, I guess disheartening as it is a, as a whole, it, it, it is somewhat comforting to know that it's not an attack on, on just the metropolitan uh, urban areas, but because it, it just feels uh, as a direct attack as it is to all localities. Um, and so thank you for adding that context. Uh, you know, I think the urban areas are under special, special attack, mostly because they can get a rise out of us in the urban areas. Right. Um, the rural areas, when they, you know, when they come hat in hand and say, hey, lawmaker, I really need you to concentrate on this. And then the lawmaker says, well, you're incompetent and you don't understand the big picture here. I'm, I'm much more you know, equipped to know what, what my constituency needs. And that local sheriff will say, hey, hey dude, actually, I have a larger constituency than you do. And I think that they forget that, that um, oftentimes, um, you know, lots of folks said, hey, Sarah, you're going to the Senate. That's awesome. You're going to have a larger constituency. Actually, I have about 300,000 less constituency than I had when I was a county judge. Wow. I want to kind of wrap, I guess, that point up uh, for some of the points that you brought up in my mind between, you know, uh, urban, rural, all that stuff. You'd mentioned that, quote unquote, Texas values that Republicans like to tout. I like to bring up, because it is Progress Texas, one of our famous catchphrases, Texas values are progressive values. Progressive values are Texas values. Um, everything, when you think about you know, abortion rights, uh, LGBTQ rights, those are all widely popular from all segments of Texans uh, on both sides. So a lot of these attacks that are going on right now and that divide that they're trying to make is not as stark as you think it is. A lot of times okay. it's two-thirds of Texans support the thing that you support there as a progressive listening to this podcast right now. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to remember in this little game that they're playing is that they're really playing, uh, they're playing an uphill battle thing, but they're in power right now. And that's why they're doing so many of these little grabs and these little stunts because they know their strategy and their policies are not winning policies. Sam, I I thank you for everyone that's listening. I realize you can't see me when you're listening to a podcast now. And I didn't do air (laughs) quotes when I said the Texas values comment. I want to make sure that that's clear. Oh no! I think I think the the tonality you used was okay. disgusted <laughs> enough when you presented it as such. Yeah, you know, Sam, I've been thinking a lot about how to define Texas values, mm-hmm. um, and um, I've come up with this catchphrase that I use to look at every piece of legislation that I'm thinking about: um, Is it effective? Is it efficient? Is it fair? And is it minimally intrusive? Um, yeah. And I think that if we all look, I think that actually pretty much across the political spectrum, um, leaving aside the hyper-partisanship, we could agree that we want our government, whether it's local government or state government, to be effective, efficient, fair, and minimally intrusive. Um, But unfortunately, the current leadership, we are not producing effective, efficient, fair, or minimally intrusive legislation. Here at the Halfway Point, a quick note of thanks for listening to the Progress Texas Happy Hour podcast. We're proud to say you've helped us build our podcast into one of the top 10% of the most widely heard podcasts in the world. 
kind of mind-blowing but true, and one of the top progressive political podcasts here in Texas. We couldn't have done all of this without you listening and sharing episodes, so thank you for that. We believe that information is power. Our podcast features insider analysis with a lighthearted take on major issues, events, and players in Texas politics. We've interviewed elected officials, foreign policy experts, activists, and candidates in a panel format that brings gender and ethnic diversity and always seeks to give listeners a reason to keep coming back for more. After we wrap today, please help us keep our podcast ad-free and accessible to all listeners with a donation at ProgressTexas.org. Find the link in the show notes. And I like that minimally intrusive part, especially going into the second section of this podcast. KT, can you talk about our governor's love of uh, leaving things alone and letting things be? Or should I say quite the opposite of that? That's right. Recently, an unsealed document in the Daniel Perry murder case revealed far more anti-protester social media posts like, quote, Black Lives Matter is racist to whites, and quote, I do not agree with people acting like monkeys. Ugh, such a hard thing to say. This is the man Governor Greg Abbott is seeking to have pardoned after not attending the trial or watching the trial because it wasn't broadcast because he was mocked by Fox anchor Tucker Carlson for inaction. As a reminder, Perry was convicted by a jury of his peers after he shot a protester during a Black Lives Matter rally near the state capitol. This is a question for both of you. As elected officials, why is Governor Abbott meddling here? Well, we all know why Governor Abbott is meddling here. It's, it's attention. It's attention grabbing. Um, but, but let's talk about public safety and law enforcement for a moment. <laughs> if, if your goal from a policy standpoint is to have effective, efficient, fair, and minimally intrusive uh, uh, public safety. Um, you want to have, you want to build trust uh, in in the process that the process works. That police will show up when you call them. That when someone is a danger to themselves or to others, that uh, there will be a response. And that when someone is held accountable for taking someone else's life, it's done so in a criminal proceeding that is that is fair. There have been allegations made with regard to how the the trial went, none of them are substantiated. As a matter of fact, Mr. Perry had extremely capable um, uh, defense attorneys. I know them personally, actually. (laughs) They're very good defense attorneys. Um, And an excellent judge with deep experience. The, The idea of undermining our trust in our judicial process to win points politically um, is deeply destabilizing and could have serious ramifications with regard to public safety. This is, this is a precedent that is more than a slippery slope. Um, and, and to me, this is even beyond the substance of the case and, and, and exactly what was mentioned by Senator with, with law enforcement and, and the trust that we want to see. If this is a precedent that we want to set to bypass actual due process, um, it, then it speaks to how much we value all Texans. Um, and, and that to me is, is it's somewhat in, even indicative of, of a lot of these partisan bills that are filed. Um, they're, they're not effective, efficient, or um, uh, low, I'm sorry, what was? 
Oh, I'm going to say it again because I want you to repeat it too. I, I want I'm everyone trying to, adopt to get this. it. I want it, yes. Effective, efficient, and fair, and minimally intrusive. Minimally intrusive, yeah. And, and, and I, don't, I don't believe that that's what we're seeing. Um, right. we, we are, we're seeing things that are, are direct attack. And now this is no longer just placing bills, uh, some of which are just to get headlines. And we know that they're not going to make it through. But in this case, this is using like the most power that you have in right. the position that you're in to have a direct attack on one side versus the other. Talk about creating a division in law enforcement and and uh, the community. And we saw the uprising uh, that happened after George Floyd. I wouldn't blame Texans to have the same reaction if this is what's going to take place, because how can we ever have justice how can there ever be uh, something to hope for uh, that that we can change what we're dealing with at these times if this is the bar that's being set at the highest level of our state? We are in a time where our um, current leadership is constantly talking about back the blue, public safety, back the blue, public safety, and yet we are undermining our law enforcement and fanning flames in the community by making, uh, uh, creating a lawless carry circumstance where everyone can get a gun. Um, police don't have probable cause to stop someone when they see someone walking down the street with a gun. And also undermining the police and the criminal justice system by threatening so-called rogue prosecutors uh, and also uh, suggesting strongly to the Board of Pardons and Paroles that you will come up with the decision I want to give me the opportunity to undermine a criminal case for which there hasn't even been a sentencing uh, hearing yet. And, and that's the thing that I wonder about what comes next, because obviously the decision was made. He said, we're going to undo this. He's going to be a free man. And then all the reports of the racist texts and messages and all of those things. And Governor Abbott has the opportunity to say, well, there's new information. Maybe I should change my opinion on this. Maybe I, sh I was wrong, as he so often is. But finally admitting it would be a nice change of pace for once. And maybe he cannot come off as a, uh, a trying to be a king here in Texas, we, we've kind of made that um, comparison before on this podcast where he wears the crown and nobody can stop him and he does what he wants. Maybe this one time he can backtrack this. Do you think he does? Do you think uh, after the weekend he says, ah, maybe, maybe it's a little too hot. Maybe he was a little too racist, which definitely is. And maybe this isn't good for law enforcement. Like you said, that, you could just take that out. That's the easy out. Does he take it? Adam, I'll pass that to you first. I don't, I don't think he takes it. Um, I, I think that he's too far in. Um, and I think that we all know, just as Senator mentioned, that this is attention-seeking. He has uh, hopes in 2024 that are way beyond his capacity. And it's going to take um, doing everything he can to the base uh, in order to put himself in, in, in uh, consideration even. Uh, with that said, the Constitution doesn't say we get a do-over <laughs> with right. court. Right. Uh, I mean, he, he, there is a conviction that's been laid and a respect for our process uh, and, and, and disrespect for the process is, is just indicative of the disrespect for our government as a whole on January 6th. I mean, there's a correlation here to where there's a, a party that, in my opinion, is going rogue from what our country stands for. And when you start challenging the fundamentals that make us America, uh, then, then you're just writing your own rules. 
And, um, and you know, we're, we're, we're looking at, of course, like was mentioned also, the back the blue mindset, the, the constant um, favor of public safety. It's created this narrative that if you have uh, any intent to have accountability for law enforcement, that you're anti-police, when in fact, perpetuating that narrative actually hurts the police even more. The, the cliche argument of the bad apples of the bunch is something that's real and something that I hear from actually from my officers uh, on a regular basis, because they say that's not what this badge stands for. That's not that hurts my ability to do my job effectively the way that I should be able to. And so th from the very mouths that want to say in a campaign slogan that they back the blue, they're taking drastic measures and, and, and unprecedented actions at a government as a government that actually do the exact opposite. Uh, and, and in the end, that's what we deal with when we see the society as a whole um, step up and stand against it. You may be right about the a lot of ground to make up. Councilmember Basil Dew and I are both in Dallas and here in, in Texas and Abbott's own state uh, at the CPAC convention last um, late summer. I don't think Greg Abbott made 1% in the straw poll for the Republican primary. So you're, you're right about a lot, a lot of ground to make up. With regard to what I hope comes of this, whether or not Abbott will be able to backtrack, um, my hope, and it's, it's a slim hope, is that the Board of Pardons and Paroles will look at the total universe of petitions for clemency and um, Perry's case will not come anywhere near the top of, of those cases that would be appropriate for clemency. That's, that's what pardon is for. Greg Abbott has exercised his power of pardon very rarely. And uh, of all the cases that you would offer clemency, uh, of all the cases that um, have been recommended, this, this should not be anywhere near the top of the list. Uh, and to think that that's probably his strategy is that he knew it's not going to, but he could say, free this guy. And it, uh, it's, it's always a game with Abbott. And, and I find it very frustrating to keep, you know, having the news keep attention to all these little circus acts, these little juggling tricks, you know, it's all just a show. This might be calorie free for him. He might be able to, you know, rattle saber and say, I'm going to pardon him. And then he can blame his appointees at the board of pardons and paroles for standing in his way. His own right. appointees. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, it's not beneath them to throw somebody, anybody under the bus. So very cynical. Before um, <laughs> we close today, um, is there anything that we talked about that you'd like to add um, on local control or these specific cases? Um, something that you wanted to let our listeners know about? No, I, I, I just want to uh, reemphasize that we have this omnibus bill right now uh, that is uh, going to be making its way to the floor next uh, Tuesday. <clears throat> I encourage anybody who's listening who uh, does believe in local control to reach out to your state legislators. Um, uh, there are a number of tricks that can happen on the floor to make this thing not be successful. And I'm hoping uh, that you encourage your um, uh, state reps to do that uh, because this will be a disaster. And the, the bottom line is, and, and, and Senator, take no offense to this, but None take it. They're, they're at the state legislature. They don't want to take on the control of uh, the issues for zoning cases. They don't want to be the representative that's getting calls on their personal cell phones about zoning cases or 
um, uh, issues within your own community that, that, that you should be able to rely on your local government for. Building code, for instance, fire code, for instance, all of these things are being touched with this legislation that uh, cannot be set at a state level. And you know, as a representative for the city of Dallas, I'm very proud of the, the work that we have towards climate action. And um, that's one of the things that will be most threatened. Uh, we have to continue to fight for our local control, but we need constituents uh, to, to speak up about that as well, because it's, it's not enough uh, for those who are actually getting the attack. I mean, I put on I put up three things that the that. I believe are, are directly being attacked with bills right now in Austin. Um, so they're, they're, I'm not their favorite person to listen to. <laughs> I need uh, I need some help here uh, at, a, at a local level. So that's what I'm asking. I would ask constituents. Uh, it's frustrating, uh, but I would build your frustration tolerance and keep keep talking to your state uh, elected officials that this is inappropriate. That our our labs of innovation in the state are our local governments. Um, if you stop those labs of innovation, you will stop innovation in Texas. Um, we need a productive partnership between state and local governments because local governments actually are the eyes, ears, arms, and legs of state government. Um, nothing gets done in the state uh, after a bill gets passed in, uh, in the legislature without the local governments actually implementing it. Local government is the implementation arm, and in some cases is also the funder of what the state demands. Um, so we really do need a positive partnership. And right now we do have a lot of legislators who are armchair quarterbacks to their local uh, city councils. Um, they, they, are, they are more comfortable taking pot shots at their local elected leaders than they are at coming up with solutions at the state level. I also just want to point out that we have a, we have an awesome senator down there in, in the Texas legislature. I'm, I am a fan myself, but it's, it's also important when it comes time uh, to, to elect more people down in Austin to look at this, uh, this experience that, that is had at a local level and the understanding of that collaborative need uh, for, for different levels of government to work together. Um, and so it, it, we're lucky that we have, but we need more. We need more down in Austin that understand what local government, uh, how important local government is to their constituents that they're serving at the state. We need those local labs of local government to produce some great candidates to come change the personnel in this building. Yes, that's right. So, you know, cut your teeth in local government and learn how to govern and then come up here and teach us how. <laughs> yes, that's right. And speaking of local government, Councilmember Basil Dewitt, you're running for reelection. Uh, yes, early I am. In-person voting begins April 24th. Where can people find more about your campaign and follow you online? Um, you can find uh, find out more about my campaign at Basil Dua, B-A-Z-A-L-D-U-A, the number four Dallas.com. Um, and my name, Adam Basil Dua, uh, on all handles of social media. Um, we're, we're really looking forward to continuing progress. Um, I, I, I feel today I actually was uh, endorsed by the Dallas Morning News and uh, I, I was happy to get. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, I, I, their their text in it, you know, mentioned the word progressive a, a few times, and it was almost like they were holding their nose to do it. But I, <laughs> I, 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 I love the fact that um, that there's a different voice and a different perspective um, at City Hall, and I think it's it's not only important for the policymaking component, but it's also important uh, so that uh, everyone. 
um, in Dallas feels like they're being represented um, at the horseshoe. So um, I'd love any support that you have. Uh, help me get back for two more years. And State Senator Eckhart, would you tell us where listeners can find you? And would you tell our followers why voting in local elections, if there is a local election near you, and there is for a lot of Texas, why that's critical? Uh, we have a, a critical election coming up uh, locally. Uh, do turn out for that election. Uh, we just need so much more participation in our elections. Um, so go, 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 go to the ballot uh, and, and cast your, you know, cast your preference. Uh, you can reach me anytime at Sarah at Sarah Eckhart.com. Sarah at Sarah Eckhart.com. I'm super easy to find. And when I'm not in legislative session, we do coffee jolts on the third Thursday of the month in some independent coffee house somewhere in Travis County. So That's when the great. session is over, check my Facebook page. Uh, and we will have our uh, coffee jolts listed there where they're going to be. Like I said, the third Thursday of the month, uh, it's a great think tank. I just take notes and people tell me what my assignments are. That's great. And coming next week, uh, we will have a post of your Texas values quote on our Instagram because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how good it look on a shirt. I thought about it, Love but it. definitely a post quoted, tagged you and everything. So you'll be able to find it there at Progress Texas uh, on Instagram. Well, unfortunately, effective, efficient, fair, and minimally intrusive uh, spells out eef me, which is totally (laughs) (laughs) Best left to the graphic, I'm assuming, as a quote at at this point. Councilmember Basil Dewis, State Senator Eckhart, thank you so much for joining us on the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I know we'll have you back soon. Thanks. Thank you all for having us. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Adam. That's some great insight into what happened in in Dallas previously with Texas DPS and the city of Dallas, but there is one more part to the Texas DPS and the city of Austin situation. I know there's some division among progressives about the invitation for Texas DPS to work with Austin PD. And we do plan to extend an invitation to Mayor Kirk Watson because whether or not you agree with this decision, he should have the opportunity to explain his position. Yeah, it's it's a decision that affects all of us. And I think that letting him speak on his own behalf and get out of the way of the the news and the press and all that stuff and just come directly talking to progressives at a progressive organization on a podcast. We're not antagonizing, but we do want answers. We want to know why this went into effect. So that'll be a fair shake, I think. We'll give him a fair shake. And if he accepts, we'd love to have him on. And uh, if he doesn't, then... Um, We hope to find an explanation elsewhere. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Thanks to Digital Director Sam Gonzalez. Listeners, always thank you. Please head on over to ProgressTexas.org and subscribe to our email list. Keep us accessible with a donation of any amount, and don't forget to follow us on socials. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Bye, y'all. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.